Hello and welcome. My name is uh, Adam Curtis and I'm the curate here at Christchurch. It's a joy to, to be with you all here this wonderful uh, morning. Um, we're going to be starting a series in, uh, in 2 Corinthians over the next, uh, over the next few months. But then in our, our family, um, all age services will be uh, doing something a little bit different. But as we come to God's word, let us come in prayer. Oh, dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you that you are the speaking God and you speak to us. We thank you that you are the God of all comfort and compassion. And you, you are so good that you would want us to, to hear your word so that we might build our lives upon it. And as we come to build our lives upon it now, Father God, may your spirit be with us all as we hear and think and meditate upon your word. May you convict us, may you challenge us, may you shape us, may you renew us. In your mighty name, amen. Who are you going to listen to? Sort of a big question, which sort of frames 2 Corinthians. Who are you going to listen to? Let me give you uh, two candidates you can choose from. Candidate number one. Imagine them walking through out of, out of this door right now. There's a woman in a, in a, in a sharp, sharply dressed suit. If, uh, if your political persuasion uh, likes this, then there's pearl necklace. Or if it doesn't, then it's a recycled necklace. But they walk out, and they're looking, they're looking strong, they're looking sharp, and she's charismatic. And you hear her speaking like, oh, she's, she's saying everything I want to hear. That's candidate number one. Do you listen to her? Or... The next option you have is candidate number two. Now, candidate number two is a, is a, is a beaten-up guy. And he's not even present. <laughs> he's not even in the room. He's not even in the room because even though he promised he was going to come and be here, he had to make changes to his travel plans. And actually, the last time we had a conversation with this guy, he, he sort of rebuked you. And he, and, he, and, he, and he hit you with some hard truths. Who are you going to listen to? Sharp and sophisticated, beaten up and not even there. Who are you going to listen to? And this is the dilemma which is sort of facing this early Corinthian church. So who are they going to listen to? Because they have the option of the impressive. The impressive who looks strong. The impressive who says things which are like, oh, I want to hear that. Or the other option they have is Paul, the writer of this letter, who just looks very weak, who's not even there, and when he speaks, he confronts them with hard truths. Who are you going to listen to? And actually, that can be like a, a question which we can ask ourselves in our current sort of cultural moment as well. I had a, had a moment earlier in the week when it suddenly was just dawning, dawning on me about the energy crisis and what that means for me as an individual, but also what that might mean for us as a church and what that might mean for even just heating up this building. And it just suddenly just like, like was quite overwhelming. And I don't know if you've experienced that recently when we think about the energy crisis and we, we have an opportunity. Do we want to listen to someone who might look very impressive? Because actually there are people out there who can look very impressive, Christians out there who look very impressive in their sharp suits, and they can tell us a message about just believe the gospel, Hear the gospel and you will prosper. And actually, it's like money will just fall from the sky. But there's also 
a sort of a secular sort of impressive message as well, which, which sort of tells you, okay, just care about number one. Look after number one. Don't worry about anyone else. If you look after number one, you'll be okay. And, and actually, those can both come from very impressive sort of voices. But also, when we think about sort of the energy crisis, there's also sort of a, a weaker, quieter sort of voice, which is like, no, 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 no. You've got to love your neighbor. No, 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 you've got, to, you've got to look after the vulnerable. No, 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 you can't just look after number one. Actually, no, 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 you've got to start depending and trusting in the Lord, even through the, the suffering and the hardship, even if it means the suffering and the hardship doesn't actually go right here, right now. Who are you going to listen to? That is the big question of 2 Corinthians. And so what is God saying to us today? Well, as we land in 2 Corinthians, we're landing with, uh, with Paul writing the second letter which we have, but there's probably other letters to this early church. And he's writing into a situation where he knows the church and he loves the church. He feels like a father uh, to the church. But, but there, the new people have come in through the letter called Super Apostles. And they're very jazzy and they're very fancy. And actually, this church is starting to feel a bit uneasy about Paul because he's been, like, like he's got quite a bad name about him and he's been thrown out of many cities and beaten up and suffered a lot for talking about Jesus. And, and the last time he wrote to them, he, he rebuked them. So this is the, the situation which we land in with 2 Corinthians. And as Paul starts his defense, really, of his, uh, of his ministry... And what Christian ministry looks like. He starts in verse 3 with a note of praise. And we see from verse 3 to 7 that, that Paul defends his ministry by t telling us about who God is and how God works. And the first thing we learn about God is that God is the God of comfort. Verse 3 to 7, he is the God of comfort. And in these opening words of praise in verse 3, well, we're, we're hearing about how he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the father of compassion. He is the God of all comfort. How he comforts his suffering servants so that they can go and bring comfort out to others. Now look down at verses uh, 3 to 7. How many times do you see the word comfort? Quickly, give it a count. How many times do you see the word comfort? got seven any raise on seven we've got an eight any raise on eight so my niv back home it was eight but i did a quick count just now and i read nine but that might have been out of panic <laughs> but either way it's a lot it's a lot this is a big point this is a big idea which paul is really ramming home here to mention it eight slash nine times it's a big deal. But what does it mean when we talk about that our God is a God of comfort? Well, there's one thing it definitely doesn't mean. It isn't just escapism. Because that's a form of sort of modern comfort, isn't it? Isn't it? Escapism. We see that list of jobs just mounting. And we just, oh, just let me turn on another TV show. Oh, let me just stay in bed a little bit longer because it's warm and safe here. Oh, let me just watch another YouTube video, and another YouTube video, and another YouTube video, and another YouTube video. Eight hours? Where does that go? It's not escapism when God talks about comfort. No, when God is talking about comfort, 
here, he's not talking about escapism, which just dulls a pain but doesn't deal with it or doesn't help you. No, when God is talking about comfort, the word, it has, it has the sense of, the feeling of being fortified, being encouraged, being enabled. And so we're first told about how God is this God of comfort, this father of compassion, supporting, fortifying, enabling. And as the verses go on, we're seeing how God works. Verse 5, for just as the suffering of Christ flows over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. This is a Christ-centered way that God works. So, so, so God works. He provides his comfort. And he works through us sharing in the suffering of Jesus. And this is seen all over scriptures. As Jesus' words himself said, as the shepherd is struck, so, so the sheep scatter. As, as Jesus confronted Paul on, his, on the road of, to Damascus, and he said to Paul who was persecuting Christians, Paul, why do you persecute me? God's people and God are always wrapped up together, the persecutions, the suffering, which they all experience. So this is a Christ-centered way that God works. We share in Christ's sufferings, but our comfort also abounds through Christ. And it abounds through Christ as we share all that Christ is, and all that Christ has done, as we share the gospel with people, that you who are lost can be found, that you who are dead can be alive, that you who are orphans can be an heir, that God is no longer a, a stranger, an enemy, but he is your father. As we share that gospel, that good news of all that Jesus has done, that is real comfort of eternal value. But also, it is the comfort that Jesus brings, because everyone who believes in him is filled with his spirit. And how does Jesus describe the Holy Spirit of God as the comforter who is with you? God comforts us through Jesus, through his body of believers, through the church, who he is the head and we are the body. He comforts us. It's interesting in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Paul uses the word comfort again. And he uses it to describe the coming of his friend Titus. When Titus came to me, that comforted me. And actually, God uses the body of believers to bring comfort. So God uses his, his suffering servants as they strive to live for Jesus, as they strive to speak for Jesus, as a way of bringing comfort to, to, to other people so that they may be saved, so that they may be encouraged, so that they may patiently endure. And the gloriously wonderful good news about this, verses 3 to verses 7, is the God of comfort comforts his suffering servants now. The God of comfort comforts his suffering servants now. This idea of the God of comfort comforting his suffering servants, well, it's almost, it's a little bit like, well, think of Lord of the Rings. And think of that moment when Frodo and Sam are climbing out up Mount Doom. And Frodo is just overcome by the weight of the ring and he can't carry it anymore. And as you're watching the, the film or reading the books and you see um, Sam um, um, struggling with this and then he just that famous line 
She's like, I may not be able to carry the ring, but I can carry you. And he picks up Frodo, and he lifts him and carries him up the mountain. Comfort. The God of comfort comforts his suffering servants. It's a little bit like when, when Harry Potter, in the final book, is walking into the forest to meet Voldemort, and he holds that, that ring, he holds that stone, which, which brings back in some, is it a ghostly form? Who knows? Some sort of form, his, his, his parents. And it is really an eye-sweating moment as they give him those words of encouragement and they spur him on and they comfort him. They don't remove the pain, but they comfort him. Well, it's a bit like that when Aslan is walking towards uh, the stone table to meet the witch. And, and actually in the story, there's Susan and there's Lucy there and they, and they walk with him for a bit. And they put their, their hands in his mane and they comfort him as they send him on. And it's a bit like how the Lord Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and an angel is sent to him, who strengthens him. And we're not told what that angel said. But whatever it was, it was enough. The God of comfort comforts his suffering servants. And we see that in verses 3 to 7. But as the passage progresses in verses 8 to 11, we continue to see about who God is and how he works. That our God is a God of deliverance. He's a God of deliverance. And in verses 8 to 11, we hear about how God works just through a normal gospel worker. That this is precisely how a servant of Jesus is treated. This is normal. Look down with me, verses 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we have suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Paul does not want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to misunderstand what is going on here. He wants them to comprehend his normal gospel work results and ends, and part of it is suffering. He despaired of life. He received a death sentence. What is this death sentence? We're not actually told precisely. Thinking and looking about in Acts, is it, is it to do when Paul created some riot in the book of Acts when he was spreading the gospel? Maybe. Or is it to do with the fact that some of his countrymen are, are after him to put him to death? And that's a common theme we see. Maybe, but we don't know. All we know is that it is something of a deadly peril. But whilst in the midst of this danger, whilst standing in the lion's den, God is teaching Paul something. He is teaching him that he needs to rely upon God. 
Because our God is the God who raises the dead. Our God is the God who has delivered Paul in the past and he will deliver him again. That is who our God is. And thus the good news, the beautiful news is that the God of deliverance will deliver his suffering servant again. The God of deliverance will deliver his suffering servants. It's a bit like when Frodo and Sam have thrown that ring into Mount Doom and it's boiled up. And they're sat on the edge of the cave and lava is just pouring down. It's a bit like the eagles who fly in and take them to safety and bring about their deliverance. It's a bit like when Harry and Dumbledore are talking in that world which is almost like King's Cross Station, but not quite King's Cross Station. And Dumbledore is like, you have a choice. You don't have to go on. And he wakes up on the cold ground to live again. It's, it's, it's a bit like Aslan and the emperor's deeper magic which overcomes everything the queen could ever do, the witch could ever do. And it is exactly like Jesus Christ, as he stands in triumph and glory, with the wounds in his hands, but the tomb empty. Our God delivers his suffering servants. He is the God of deliverance. And I think the main point of this passage as an introduction into 2 Corinthians is that our God is a God of comfort and deliverance and he comforts and he delivers his suffering servants so that they in turn may bring comfort and deliverance to others. So, so what does this then have to do with us here today, here in Sidka? Well, I, I do think there's sort of a multiple dimension to the uh, application to this passage. I do think on, on one level it is us joining in with this long history of gospel workers, of suffering servants who, who know that the cost of, of taking the gospel to Japan, to the Middle East, to our streets, to our neighbours, that there is a cost to it. That actually sometimes we can be mocked at school, or we can be mocked at work, or we can be the butt of every joke, or sometimes actually telling people about Jesus can cause resistance in, in, in children or grandchildren. But actually that is we're joining in that long history of, of, of being a suffering servant, knowing that, that as we suffer, we're bringing the comfort of God and that God will comfort and deliver us. But I also think the, another application of, of this passage, if we put it in the context of all of 2 Corinthians, is that idea of, well, who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? Are we going to be people who who actually who want to listen to or who start listening to those who just seem really impressive, those who seem really strong and put together and say everything which we want to hear? Or are we going to be people who listen to the, to the weak, beat-up guy who's not even here, who's distant, who's writing to us, who tells us hard truths? Because God is working now. God is speaking now. God has got a message for us today, now, and for our world, now. And the question is, are we willing to listen to it? Because the way he works 
It's through the weak and through the beaten up. It's with hard truths which are good truths. That's the way he works. That's the way he builds his kingdom. That's the way he brings people in. That's the way he brings flourishing and restores lives. That is who he is. Because he is a God of comfort and deliverance, who comforts and delivers his suffering servants so that they may bring comfort and deliverance to others. Who are we going to listen to? Let's just spend a moment meditating on these words, and then I'll close in prayer. Dearest God, we praise you, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you because you are the the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. We praise you, Father, that you do use weak and, and feeble men and women to build your kingdom and to spread your good news. And we ask, Father, will you help us to be those who who listen to your messengers, even if they have hard truths to share. And will you comfort us, Father God, as we go out to live and speak for you. No matter the opposition, no matter the reception, may you comfort us, may you deliver us, may you take us home. In your mighty name, amen.